Welcome to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast focused on highlighting extraordinary individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ, a not-for-profit cooperative credit union based in Bellingham, Washington. Many of us have heard scary stories about new homeowners dealing with costly and even dangerous home repairs that they did not expect. From leaky septic tanks and radon gas to moldy walls and all the things that freeze in the night, it's a home inspector's job to make sure that those situations don't happen to you. In this episode, I speak with Adam Morvey of Ground Up Home Inspections. What on its surface may seem like a dry subject is anything but, as Adam shares interesting tidbits and stories from his years of home inspecting. Whether you're looking for a home or you've owned one for years, there's something for everyone in this episode of Neighbor to Neighbor. So thank you for taking the time to join me today. Why don't we start off with you just introducing yourself and telling the audience what you do? Yeah, my name is Adam Morvey and I'm a home inspector. Yeah, so primarily uh, most of the inspections I do are for real estate transactions. So a buyer purchasing a home, uh, that's about 95% of the work that I do. And so uh, once a real estate transaction goes under contract, then typically I get hired on with a 10-day contingency period. And, and so then I get to the house and I do an inspection uh, on that property from the, from the ground up, which is what my company is called, uh, Ground Up Inspection Service. So I inspect uh, all the home systems and components that are readily accessible and visible. So from the appliances to the structure, uh, electrical, plumbing, um, the roof, you name it. And then I provide a digital report sent to the client uh, within a 24-hour period that can be opened up on a a smartphone is a web-based link uh, with color photos and on average usually it's about 50 pages long so no house is perfect it doesn't matter if it's brand new 100 years old 500 square feet 4,000 square feet you're gonna end up with on average a 50 page report of maintenance items potential defects and potential major issues as well so a lot of it's good information to know for negotiating you know the deal uh, but not only that, just things that you're going to need to maintain in the future to prevent costly repairs from occurring in the future. So uh, it's a great guidebook that you know that provides you with information on how to operate your house, things to maintain, and then again, the biggest feature and the value that you get is being able to use that to negotiate different terms for the purchase of the house. So either getting a discounted price on the house, asking the sellers to make repairs, or um, or so forth. You know, there's a lot of different negotiating tactics, especially in the way the market is today. It's a seller's market, so people are needing to look outside the box and try to be a little more creative. Uh, for example, on Sunday there was a, a recent listing in Bellingham for 325,000, which is a pretty low price for a Bellingham home uh, in today's market, and it's a multiple offer situation, and it will likely escalate into an over-asking price um, purchase. And so I got hired on Sunday to do a pre-listing inspection, so the, or pre-offer inspection. So the, a potential buyer hired me to come out and do an inspection on the property before they gave an offer so that their offer could be non-contingent on an inspection. So it, it strengthens their offer. They already know ahead of time uh, uh, what to expect and, and we'll either accept or decline, you know, based on, uh, on the inspection results. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think 
I'd love to get into some of those negotiating tactics and obviously just kind of point out specifically where your report like might get into something that somebody would would talk about. So I'd love to get into that in a minute. But as we lay the groundwork here, a lot of this is review for some of our from our listeners. But essentially, you come out, you say, here's the status of the house as far as the, the quality, um, the maintenance and all those sorts of things so that the buyer so they know what they're getting into. Right. And there, I feel like there's so many different interesting things that we can get into as far as how you're, how, what you do and, and how it kind of plays out. But what's something that most often surprises folks after they have an inspection done on a house that they've been looking at? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that are normal and typical, you know, because every house has problems. And that's my job is to make a house look bad, right? I'm only giving you a report of the defects and issues with a house. So if you... If we don't discuss the problems and you just go look at an inspection report, it's going to make the house look poor. And uh, so the, the, the best value of my service is actually the time spent together where we discuss the reality of those concerns um, because it, it varies so much by price, by area, and, and uh, the things that I see on a regular basis we'll talk about you know, and say, hey, th- this is a concern, but this is you know, normal for this price range of house, or this is something I see on a regular basis. So rodents are real big in our area. So that's one thing that um, they can be fairly destructive and the amount of damage they, uh, they cause just based on where they want to live. You know, uh, for example, they'll, they'll get into your attic and they destroy your insulation and they drop feces and urinate in the insulation. So it's gross, right? So it's reasonable to request that that be cleaned up, you know, and re-insulate the attic or the crawl space when that's found. And a lot of times that the sellers aren't aware of it and the cost can be pretty significant. You can be anywhere from a couple thousand to $10,000 to to re-insulate depending on the size of the house and if there's a lot of vaults and that type of thing and again whether it's the crawl space or the attic so that's one thing that does come up fairly often that is pretty costly that could potentially kill the deal you know if if the seller doesn't want to deal with it and the buyer doesn't have any money and they have maybe a newborn um, that they don't want living in a house that has potential sanitary issues uh, so and moisture intrusion is, is the next thing moisture it's a western washington is really wet so that's uh, one of my primary focuses is looking for moisture-related problems, so roof leaks, built-in cavity leaks, um, and even just pl- plumbing defects. So that it's very common that, on average, the house a house will have some type of moisture problem. So even whether it be a building cavity leak, you know, from failed siding or failed caulking, uh, worn-out roof, or even a toilet that's the wax ring is leaking, which is extremely common. Uh, and I, I investigate, obviously, visually, but as well as with moisture meters and infrared cameras. Um, that's something that I do at no charge. So that's just tools and equipment and, and training that I've received in order to be able to provide a higher level of service. Uh, so the, the infrared camera is something that's really neat. I, I love using that on site uh, and using that with the client, too, to kind of show them how that works. Is that and for that, moisture? Right. So how that works is it, it reads the temperature uh, surface temperature and if you have a moisture leak like a roof leak coming through the ceiling that's not yet visible to the naked eye often that temperature will be different of that moisture spot so then i might see it on the camera and i'll confirm it with a moisture meter by putting my moisture meter on it to confirm that yes there is moisture in that spot it can also help detect energy efficiency uh, 
deficiencies, right? So if there's air leaks around the windows or cold spots in the walls, that'll show up on the infrared camera. Also, I'll do that oftentimes before I go into the attic. So then I can see the cold spots on the ceiling. I'll double check it with a moisture meter. Well, if there's no moisture there, then that likely means that there's insulation missing from that location. So, which happens all the time too. Insulation gets compacted or uneven from previous contractors or people doing work up in the attic and they move the insulation around, but then they never put it back. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research here, I was kind of going through some articles written by home inspectors and about home inspectors. And one of the things they said is, don't expect me to, to assess your, your uh, energy efficiency of your home. But with some of these tools, you can infer at least a lot of those things. Or, I mean, I would say you could probably get pretty close. Right, right. And there, you know, uh, you can have like an energy audit be performed, which is very similar. Uh, the only difference, they use an infrared camera as well, is you'll get a blower door test. So where they'll actually seal off the home and put a blower unit inside the front door, and it measures the actual pressure of the house. Then they go through with the infrared camera and see if they can identify where the air is leaking from. Uh, and then they'll, you can pay to have it sealed up tighter and add additional insulation. Uh, but energy efficiency is one of the big things that I do look for. So I'm looking at what your... Uh, insulation rating is in the floor and in the attic and again with the infrared camera to see if there is any major red flags from air leakage Uh, but it's very common in older houses you know the floor is not insulated or the attic doesn't have very much insulation so that's not something that you're not you're you're not necessarily going to negotiate a lower price with the seller you know that's kind of expected well an older house is going to have less insulation but that's one of the things that's good to know when you buy the house that hey there's some things that you could do to improve the home to make it more efficient and save money down the road. So especially if you make those repairs or modifications or upgrades, sooner than later, it's going to pay off faster for the the length of time of your ownership. Makes sense. Interesting. So another thing that I I read about that I thought was interesting is that people even have new homes inspected. Right. Uh, Yeah. And I get calls on new homes all the time. And oftentimes people will even question that. You know, do I even need this inspection because the city or county inspectors inspect it Um, and definitely most definitely I do new inspections um, quite often and new construction is up right now so I've actually been uh, fairly busy with new construction inspections this uh, winter so in the past few months I've probably done more new construction than I have since I started Um, and I've never done a perfect house so that includes new construction, right? There's always a list of stuff. It's just a different list of things that, that I'll find. But uh, for example, um, I've had a crawl space that was flooded. So they didn't get the drainage done right and there was no drain and the drain, the perimeter drainage was draining right into the crawl space. Wow. And so that was full of water. It was already checked off with the final occupancy permit ready to move in. Uh, I've been in a house that had no attic insulation. They forgot to install the insulation. Again, it was all checked off, ready what to move in. the world? They, yep. for, they just forgot. Yep. Oh, we just built it. Eh, I forgot. I did a custom-built house uh, recently that actually had some structural modifications that were done after the house. They had to get re-engineering done because they messed up on a couple of the footings, and it caused the floor to buckle, and it cracked the wall, and it created some pretty significant issues. Um, so you're basically checking the work of the people that just built the house. Right, yeah. I'm and, sure that kind of allows you to develop some opinions of some home builders. It, it does, for sure. And, but, you know, all, 
all the builder responses uh, that I've received have been very positive, and everybody in the area has been real receptive to to those reports and the, and fixing those issues mm-hmm. that I find. A lot of times too, it's just nitpicky, you know, minor defects. So what I do too is I go through the house and I nitpick it to death because it's brand new. I have a different level of expectation of how that house should look. So. And it's amazing that what you can see just by shining a, f- a really bright flashlight on the wall sometimes, you know, that you wouldn't see regularly. Mm-hmm. And just minor imperfections in the paint or the trim or missing caulking. Uh, so the what's called a punch list for the uh, contractors, they, they typically will walk through uh, with a buyer of a new construction home before they get the keys and address any of those issues. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of standard to use like blue painter's tape. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things I take blue painter's tape with me and I mark every single imperfection that I can see mm-hmm. with blue painter's tape. Wow. And then they, they'll come through and, and touch those things up and, nice. uh, and fix those items. Yeah. Um, but often it is a, a fairly large list of things that were just not put together right or the hot and cold water supplies are, are swapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one recently where they had no hot water to a shower. Mm-hmm. And it was a shower insert, so you would know, either need to cut the wall open or pull the shower the the shower insert out in order to get that water line hooked up or turned on. Mm-hmm. So, things that you definitely want to know before you move into the house, and then have somebody have to come in later and invade your privacy and take care of it. Because um, the reality is, too, most of the builders provide a warranty with the home as well. So if you mm-hmm. did find an issue after the fact, then you can get them out there within that first one year period to correct the issues for you. Did you know you can download and listen to Neighbor to Neighbor anytime you want? Just search Neighbor to Neighbor on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Is it required that you inspect a home for a buyer? No. uh, Typically, it's required for lending, um, depending on how you're financing. Um, So that's where... Uh, Even for might, a new home, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So for a new home, um, some some lenders, depending again on how you're financing, will require that you have provide proof of paying for it. So they just want to see your receipt. Uh, but there's a lot of different situations where yeah, people don't need to or won't you know get an inspection. But uh, my job is to is to justify why I'm there every time. Right. I'm going to find stuff. Uh, on every house. And I've done it enough now with over a thousand inspections done locally that I can guarantee you I'm going to find some issues on, mm. on the house and provide you value with what you're paying for. So cool. my goal is to give you more value than what you're paying me for. So either by getting you know additional money off, getting those things fixed, or fixing those items prior to them costing more money in the future, right? Mm. Very cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm learning so much already. What is one thing that people most kick themselves about not doing maintenance on around here? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's hard to say because I think the biggest thing is is probably education on maintenance. Most people don't know what needs to be maintained. Uh, exterior caulking is probably one of the number ones that most homeowners don't realize that needs to be maintained and isn't necessarily real obvious to the naked eye unless you really look for it. So you need um, to maintain your exterior caulking. Right. So oh, okay. because it's such a wet climate and because of the, especially the warmer summers that we've been getting and the high humidity, uh, you get more expansion and contraction you know, of the siding materials and just the lumber of the house itself. So 
with that expansion and contraction, that causes the cotton to split or crack and deteriorate. And then that allows for water infiltration into those areas, which can damage the wall cavity and the trim or the siding itself. Um, so that is fairly common and something that um, I personally look at and maintain annually on my house because you will find areas that will start to crack, you know, and then just touch it up and put a little bit of paint over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within five years, you're very likely to have failed caulking. Uh, moss on the roof is also another one that's real big because so areas like Sudden Valley or where there's a lot of hills and trees, we see uh, a lot of moss growth. So moss is damaging to the roof. It can also retain a lot more moisture and result in mold uh, buildup actually inside the attic because the sheathing will then saturate. So mm-hmm. it's not just an appearance, but it's actual, you know, for functionality of your roof, it's important to make sure that moss is off there. Is that usually like a spray or something like that that you do? Yeah, for your... so um, there's moss treatment that yeah. you'd want yeah, want to put on, either a powder form or a liquid form that you would uh, apply to the top surface. Is that like you... once a year typically? Yeah, typically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you want to do it like in the wet months. And mm-hmm. then once that's applied, it's usually a zinc-based product that will actually kills the moss. The moss turns black and then it falls off with rain. Um, and then you would want to clean your gutters after that, obviously, because usually they end up in your gutters. Uh, you just You don't ever want to pressure wash your roof. So that's a mistake that I see a lot of people make because that then sprays the granulars off the roof depreciating the life of the roof. Mm, that makes sense. What is the worst thing that people are doing to their homes so that they don't realize? Huh. Um, that's a good question. I see weird stuff every day. I mean, it, tell me about the weird I, stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times people don't recognize what they think they can do and think that it's maybe okay where they should have hired a professional. Mm. You try, you know, it's the do it yourselfers that it might look good to them, but to a professional or somebody like me, you can come in and tell that this wasn't installed properly or Mm. you've now caused further damage to another system because of the way something was installed. Mm. Uh, Really, if you don't know what you're doing, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm. But I am also a real big advocate of do it yourselfers. So again, it's, it's kind of finding the right happy medium, but being able to get those resources um, properly. Um, what are some I'm examples? trying to think. Yeah, I was trying to think of an example. Um, um, man, I'm trying to think of something good. Um, I mean, we've seen you know do-it-yourself roof jobs that were installed improperly. So a lot of times the bigger projects that people try to save money on that might result in issues, right? Mm -hmm. So you try to do a roof yourself and you don't get the flashing right and then it leaks into the attic space and damages the insulation, damages the drywall and the ceiling, and then you've got a, you know, larger costly fix where you could have just paid to have the roof replaced. Yeah. Um, Like what, what, what are moments that you were just like, why? Why did you do this? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of crazy modifications, but I, I think a lot of the stuff is is more neglect that I often see. Um, and that's understandable. Everybody's situation is different and that not everybody necessarily knows or can afford to do costly repairs and maintenance on things. Uh, but there's been homes that I would have bet were abandoned and assumed were abandoned that were being lived in that I've done inspections on. Mm. Uh, and that gets a little awkward and strange when I need to suit up in a hazmat suit to do 
an inspection on a house. Uh, I did a house recently that the owner was feeding the stray cats outside and she just dumps cat food on the back porch. And so I noticed in the backyard there was a very, very strong cat urine smell. Hmm. Well, the crawl space hatch had been totally chewed apart and there was multiple cats living under the house when I shined the light under in the crawl space. They scattered across, you know, and had probably been urinating under the house for who knows how long. Did that come in through, like you smelled it in the house? In the house. And uh, I mean, from outside the house, you could smell it in the backyard. It was so bad. It was so bad that, and probably occurred for so long. And there was so much mold in the crawl space that the subfloor, you know, all the flooring basically needed to be removed in the house because that smell is going to be really difficult to get out. Uh, For one, I don't know how you could live with that smell. But again, you know, everybody's life situation is different and I try not to judge people too much, but that kind of, when I got to put a mask on to do an inspection. When they talk about being nose blind, you're like, but there's got to be a level. Yeah. There's got to be a threshold. Uh, And that one, you know, like I mentioned about the rodents previously, oftentimes you don't, that's gross, but you don't realize that that's occurring in your house. Then there's those ones that, like that, that's pretty obvious and you find the clues that, okay, you've got, uh, cats underneath and actually rats were living in the attic. So it was a great place for the cats to be, but there was a a fairly gross home that needed a lot of attention. Oh boy. Yeah. So that's what I get into on a fairly regular basis, which do you find many possums or raccoons or, um, not too often. Most of what I see, and I don't always see them because they're usually hiding from me, but is, is rat and mouse. Mm. infestation bats occasionally Mm. um primarily in like semi-amu actually bats Uh, yeah in semi-amu yep uh bats in the attic uh they like it out there and they also have easy access to the wood shake roofs out there Ah. so why why do they like wood shake roofs oh they can get in a lot easier i see yeah Uh, usually considering one of those trendy wood shake roofs yeah with with the the style they have out there they can often get in on the the uh ridge vent there's usually gaps above that. They're not screened or they'll dig their way in between the, sh- the cedar shakes because there's no uh, plywood behind it. It's what's called skip sheathing. So usually it's just a, uh, a backing that they just need to kind of chew through and then they can get they can work their way in there. So um, I've come face to face with bats a few times. Mm-hmm. That's you know a little interesting when you kind of turn your head and shine your flashlight right into the face of a bat and while you're standing you know on roof, on, on rafters, you yeah. know, where you can't misstep because yeah. you're going to fall through the ceiling. So are the bats around here small? They are small. Really yeah, small. yeah, okay. yeah. So they're like the size of mice with wings, but, but they're flying rodents. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of gross. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, you know, I suit up and I wear a full face mask and wear protective equipment and gloves uh, every time I go in an attic or a crawl space. Armor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so as far as like mice and rats, do you see? them in different parts like different geography like you're more likely to see this than that or um not necessarily no kind of that's kind of yeah yeah it really doesn't matter where you go um some people you know oh well of course we have rodent issues out here because we're out in the county or of course we have it because we're right in the middle of town and that that's really just it is it doesn't matter uh where your house is at there's a potential that it could have rodents so the potential is the same almost anywhere squirrels are you seeing squirrels i feel like yeah since i since growing up, I've seen more and more squirrels around here. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see squirrels. Um, 
and usually they'll, they'll do kind of the same thing, they, but they'll make nests in the attic so you can tell the difference in the, in the squirrel compared to a rat or a mouse. Um, and they'll bring their nuts in, in there and so oftentimes they'll be like nut shells throughout the attic and but they do the same you know they still drop feces in the in the insulation so it's still as damaging and needs the same type of remediation cleanup which gets costly and then obviously you want to try to seal up wherever they're coming in at well that whole subject freaks me out i'm <laughs> not a big fan of rodents so um that's interesting is so if you were to give a tip you were to say prevent to prevent against cats or squirrels or whatever What's something that people should look for and do and kind of pay attention to? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think the, the number one spot where they get in is the crawl space access hatch, yeah. so, which is usually located outside. So if you have an outside access hatch, checking that hatch. Yeah. Is there any openings that could allow a rodent to get in? Uh, and then checking the screens for the vents. So if you have a crawl space, it should be vented for one, so there should be vent screens on all the vents and making sure that those screens are intact. Oftentimes, cable installers or uh, phone line installers will just cut a hole in the, in the screen and they run their lines under there, and then they just leave a, a large hole where they ran the, the cable in. That's a big deal. Yeah, and that, so that's probably one of the number one spots is the crawl space hatch or holes made by cable installers. Uh, and so they don't seal that up or, or do anything about it, and then the rodents start getting in there. Then oh they, once goodness. they get in the crawl space, they'll, if they can find a hole or access to get further up, they're going to work their way up into the attic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Why do they want to work their way up? Uh, I, think, I think it's a warmer location. Okay. Um, I am not an expert on rodents. I don't do anything except report on when I see them, but yeah. I had somebody tell me once that uh, you kind of like different levels of the animal kingdom. There's different levels of the rodent kingdom. So actually the ones higher up are like higher, like seniority. Ah. And so if you, if you actually have a major infestation where you have some in the attic and in the crawl space, you have like the top rodents that live in the attic like and the, the scroungers, you know, like the, the, like the alphas. Exactly. Like the biggest ones are going to be higher up. Yeah. I thought oh, that was gosh. kind of interesting, but I'm not sure, like I said, if there's any truth to that but fascinating yeah uh, so going around you know checking those points and sealing up those entry points right you know at least once a year you should kind of just check and see are, is there anywhere that anything that's changed or anywhere that these might you know rodents or critters could get in so not just your crawl space vents but your attic vents too so often in the eaves you have uh, vents there as well so either enclosed soffits or open soffits so there's usually small circular holes that have vent screens and even though they're high up uh, if you have any shrubbery or trees or anything close by, it's amazing that these rodents will actually, you know, not just squirrels, but rats or mice will climb up and, oh, and scurry like your gutter and then jump like into these holes. It's oh, amazing how, how lovely. Uh, yeah, how they will get in and if they really want to. And they'll get into anything smaller than your pinky, smaller around than your pinky. So it doesn't take a very large opening at all. No they can, kidding. They can squish their body down. To the size of their skull, so their their skull is the only restriction that they that they have. Oh so I think you know mice are pretty small; they can get through really small holes. So that's what makes it really tough to combat them yeah. in this area. Yeah. Um, especially when we have snowy weather, they want to get out of the weather. They're going to try to find a way to get in your house. My goodness. Do you ever see sellers trying to hide stuff? 
Yeah. Um, I was actually just discussing one today. Uh, I was at an inspection earlier and I was telling some clients about a house I did recently. And this doesn't happen that often, uh, but this was a flip house. Mm. And not that that's a bad thing to flip a house, but you got to remember that if somebody's flipping a house, they bought it and are selling it for their own personal profit. They're not selling, trying to sell you a good home. You know, they're trying to sell a home for profit. For Fifty years. And, yeah, and, yeah. And what I see often too is that with uh, investors, which I do a lot of inspections for different investors, um, not all of them do inspections. So some of them do an inspection and get my report, and then they know the you know the quality and condition and what needs to be done to resell it. Well, a lot of investors buy homes that and then don't get an inspection. And they just do the cosmetic things that look pretty, um, and, but they don't do the things that actually need to be done or that should have been done. That's a, okay. So that's really, really interesting. So if you're considering buying a home that you know was flipped, consider the perhaps mentality of a flipper. Right. Right. So, yeah. and oftentimes they are great. You know, it's not that you're going to get a bad house, but there was one that I did recently that I inspected twice, actually for two different clients. Uh, and the second time that I had inspected it, he had supposedly made some repairs to the items that I had called out the first time. Well, this house had rotted siding, which was LP, which is something that is a whole nother topic that any of you listening can Google LP siding or wood fiber siding from the 1990s. Not a good product uh, in the Pacific Northwest due to moisture intrusion issues and damage to the wall cavity from moisture. Well, the siding was rot and holding a lot of water, but he had just repainted it. So the inside and outside of the home look beautiful. You walk through and you almost think that I don't even need to get an inspection because everything on this house has been taken care of. Um, but there was a lot of red flags of things that was found with the moisture meters and the infrared cameras that were deliberately painted over or covered up that should have been replaced or mm. repaired properly, uh, including some roof leaks that were very poorly patched. Uh, and again, after the fact. So I don't want, you know, you never know the whole situation and I don't like to accuse people of doing things deliberately, but sometimes it's obvious. And uh, you never know too, you know, who did the work and communication gets lost a lot of times too. You buy a house, you hire somebody else to do the work, you explain to them you want it done a certain way, but it turns out you know, a different way because they were cheaper or, or whatever. Which is also the case, too, when negotiating uh, after I do an inspection. It's amazing how many times I'll go back to the same house to do a re-inspection to verify that the repairs have been performed correctly, and they're not. So I'd say actually more often than not, they're not completed either correctly or they're not completed at all, depending on the length of the list of things needed to be done. And again, that's because I provide a report to the buyer. The buyer gives that to their their agent. They discuss what needs to be done and present that to the seller, the seller's agent. The seller's agent then presents that to the seller, who then says, okay, well, here's the things we're going to fix. So now it's, it's like playing the telephone yeah, game, telephone right? Game. So by the time it's gotten to the seller, it's already gone from four people. Even though they have a report that mm. should clearly state everything, by the time it gets Reading to the contractor, yeah. yeah, he comes out and fixes something else, wow. you know, because he saw something different that he thought was what we were talking about. So, which is also why it's important to either get it reinspected or have proof that it was done properly by invoices or 
uh, you know, just verify those things. Same with like the rodents. It's uh, not uh, too uncommon to get out and reinspect somewhere that they missed proper cleanup or they missed re-insulating it adequately. Mm. Again, depending on who they hired or how it had all been agreed, sometimes if the buyer is okay with it, the seller will attempt to make repairs themselves, but then obviously that might not be adequate. So I protect the, my client's best interest in their investment. So I'm always going to be looking out for you know, whoever is paying for my inspection, which is, like I said, typically the buyer. Yeah. So I think you've alluded to that a lot, this a lot, but like if you were to look at your own house, maybe you already own a house, or maybe you're just kind of doing that initial walkthrough of the house, how do you look at the house through slightly different eyes? There's a romantic feeling if you're looking at a house to being like, oh, well, we could put the dresser here and the couch there. But you kind of have to balance that with how do I look at this house through the eyes of a home inspector to a degree? So what what would be some some kind of tips along those lines? Yeah, that's a great question because it is um, it is different, you know, and, and it's amazing how many times I've done inspections for contractors or builders, and they might be a little suspicious, you know, or they'll follow me around and they think that you know, oh, I've already looked at it, or I don't need an inspection, but my bank said I did, and by the end they're so appreciative because. Like you said, it's, it's a different type of inspection. It's not the same as construction. You can be a contractor and not know how to look at a home from this perspective. Uh, so experience is not the number one. But what I also really enjoy doing is getting a feel for the type of person that's purchasing the home because that changes my perspective of how I'm going to look at it, but not necessarily how I'm going to report on it. So if somebody, if you're a first-time home buyer, uh, you know, depending on, and this is at your max budget, and maybe you're handy or you're not handy, you know, we're going to look at those like, hey, is this the right type of home for you? Uh, And we're going to kind of get a feel. And again, talking about things after the inspection and kind of talking about the reality of the concerns is really big because, uh, again, that kind of falls down to what kind of person are you? Are you looking for a house that doesn't need anything? Are you looking for a fixer? You know, uh, so a house that has a lot of problems isn't necessarily a bad house if if you're the type of person that wants that. Right. So you might have a really big report and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the reality of fixing those concerns versus uh, how it's going to read in the report. Because my report is going to be a technical document. And like I said, I'm never going to change the verbiage of that or how it's going to be documented. It's going to call out for specific people to perform specific repairs. But I might discuss with you that, hey, here's what I found. And from my experience in this neighborhood, this is really common issues and you said that you're handy and you can do some things. So maybe here's some advice on how to do that and go about that. And you can always reach out to me in the future for consulting or how to go about best doing that, or even for direct referrals to contractors or, or people that do that work. So like, but, for example, if you found, if you're working with somebody who's a first time home buyer and they're looking at a house and it's maxing out their budget and they're not handy at all, you're going to say, all right, well, this is going to require some work and it's going to be expensive and that's going to push you over your budget. And so maybe I should really let you know about the reality of what this might entail for you. Right. And, and that still doesn't mean that it's a bad house because maybe those things can be negotiated. Hmm. Right. So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Yes. Well, you're maxed out. You can't fix these things. And and it depends on what the things are, right? Is the house move-in ready or are these things that need to be fixed before you move in? So that's a real big one too. If they need to be fixed before you move in, then that's even more justifiable that you can negotiate with the seller, right? Uh, and so we're going to try to work on the next steps of what you need to do if you really like the house. So 
that might involve getting additional evaluations and or uh, estimates for repairs. So say, okay, well, we know that it needs these things or it needs a roof. So now your next step is to contact a roofing contractor and get a bid as soon as you can so that when you reply with your, uh, you know, you, you give your response based on your inspection that you can say, okay, well, here's the things we found and here's the estimates that we received for the things that we found. So we'd like either A, you to fix those things or B, you know, this much money off the house. Uh, and then the seller has the opportunity, opportunity to say yes or no and then it goes back to the, to the buyer. So you, you uh, never risk the deal as a buyer by asking for things. So mm-hmm. that's also a misconception from a lot of first-time home buyers is that you get scared of the house or asking for anything off the house because you're afraid that you might lose the deal, especially if it's a multiple offer situation. But the seller cannot back out of that deal uh, because you asked for something. They can only say no, and then you still have the opportunity to buy it at your original agreement. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. I know we, we were going to get into some of those negotiating tactics, and I think that that touches on a lot of it. If it's something that's, well, I guess anything that needs to be fixed, if it's unusual, perhaps that's something you could talk about. But also if it's going to stop you from moving in immediately, that might be something to negotiate. Are there any other mm-hmm. tips that you have for, for somebody to, to negotiate a better deal? Yeah, so, yeah, um, I mean, that basically basically hit it right on the head. Uh, safety items, major defects, or uh, anything that's going to accrue a large expense within the first five years is what I look at. That's also what a lot of uh, lenders look at. So depending on how you're financing, there's stricter contingencies for like FHA or VHA and USDA uh, loans. And so they often require that you have more than five years remaining on a roof. So, and that's the determination of the appraiser. So you never know how they're going to call that out or if they're going to call it out. It might have less than five years, but maybe the appraiser doesn't call it out. So in that case, the, uh, the appraiser, I come out, I say the roof has you know, less than five years remaining. And so that's considered a major defect because it's a large expense that's going to be coming up soon. Uh, but the seller may not be willing to negotiate that. Well, then you have your appraiser come out and the appraiser says, yeah, that roof looks old. We need further uh, evaluation. So then, then the lender would request my report section or that a, a roofing contractor come out and basically write up a report of the remaining life. And so once they see that it doesn't have that, that lender is not going to finance on the home unless that roof gets replaced. So that puts them in a good position as far as negotiations, because even if the seller says no, well then, hey, Mr. Seller, we can't buy your house unless you do. So you might lose the house, but it, it often helps because once the seller's already taken the house off the market, it's already gone contingent, now you've already been appraised, usually it ends up that you get a new roof installed. Uh, so that's a lot of things that I look at too. And again, with the type of person that's purchasing the house, you know, I also try to get a feel like how are you lending, what types of things might come up on the appraisal. The appraisal is typically always done after the inspection. So then we would talk about those. If I knew that you were doing, you know, FHA or one of those type of loans, uh, I would give you a heads up on the items that would likely come up. And then you might request those items to the seller prior to getting your appraisal. Makes sense. Well, You've definitely covered a lot of a lot of territory, and I think it's been super helpful. I'm sure we could keep talking for yeah. another hour, but is you know as we close here, is there anything else that you would love to give to 
folks as a, as a piece of advice just in general about home inspections? Yeah. Uh, so if you're a first-time homebuyer, that's probably, Wiku is actually a great resource uh, for first-time homebuyers. There's actually a first-time homebuyer class coming up. Um, I don't know the date offhand, but I believe it's March, March 28th. 28th. And we have one in July as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so March 28th, there's a first-time homebuyer seminar coming up, and I do speak at those. Um, I do a lot through uh, the community, through a lot of different organizations. Uh, but that's a great resource. And whether you're a first-time homebuyer or not, if you haven't attended one of those, there's a lot of good information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you, Keith. Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Did you know you can download and listen to Neighbor to Neighbor anytime you want? Just search Neighbor to Neighbor on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Unless specifically stated otherwise, WeQ does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.